Hello, and welcome to All Things Marketing and Education. My name is Ilana Leone, and I've devoted my career to helping education brands build their brand awareness and engagement. Each week, I sit down with educators, edtech entrepreneurs, and experts in educational marketing and community building. All of them will share their successes and failures using social media, inbound marketing or content marketing, and community building. I'm excited to guide you on your journey to transform your marketing efforts into something that provides consistent value and ultimately improves the lives of your audience. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of All Things Marketing and Education. Today, I have the pleasure of talking with Tracy Seelock. Tracy is a classroom teacher of 26 years. Oh my gosh. Um, She currently teaches a fifth and sixth grade class of gifted and talented students. She's got lots of teaching degrees. Let me see. She's got a teaching degree from Illinois State University. She's also got two masters. She's making me feel like a slouch here. (laughs) The first is in teaching and learning from the University of St. Francis. The second is in, in instructional technology from Nova Southeastern University. She's an adjunct professor. Holy moly. She's also been teaching at the master's program at Olivet Nazarene University for 12 years. So she's highly educated, but why I have Tracy on the show is she's also highly passionate and she's very articulate. And y'all, I'm so excited that you're just going to get the real, real from what's going (laughs) on in schools right now from Tracy. Um, I have the pleasure of working alongside Tracy in a community that we're helping build together. It's called Nourish Teachers. Every time I mention it, it gives a smile to my face (laughs) because... It's all about supporting educators. And all of this, I feel like educators get lost. Um, They tend to always get lost, which really makes me mad. It always ends up trickling down to, you know, how do we talk to students? How do we improve the learning experience for students? But we forget educators. They're the most important piece. And the educators are not nourishing their own mind, body, and spirit. So anyways, that is what Nourish Teachers is about. I can go on forever about it. I'm sure Tracy will mention it as well. But I get to work alongside her in this community. It's a private community hosted on Facebook groups. And we'll put it in the show notes as well. If you are an educator and would like to join, it's 100% free. Um, Tracy has also been married for 25 years. She has two sons and I am her Facebook friend. So I do see her posting and beaming with pride about her sons. I think it's really nice when I ask for people's bios and they talk about them as a human. Like, here's what I am. I am a proud mom. I am a proud wife. Um, She also lives with her family on a family farm in Essex, Illinois, where she spends Mm -hmm. a ton of time working on the farm itself with her father, which I know we talked about a little bit when we last chatted. So anyways, I am so excited to welcome Tracy and I am thrilled to hear from someone on the ground what it's really like in schools right now and how she is personally making through it all. And she's dealing with a lot of stuff. So um, she has a lot of love to give for educators out there. She's gonna get some great tips for all you ed tech folk that are listening in right now. So. Welcome, Tracy, to All Things Marketing and Education. Thank you, Alana. That was quite the welcome. Wow. <laughs> you didn't I know, know I was all those things. So wow. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything that I missed that you think might be helpful for the listeners or add some context to who you are? 
No, you know, I just think that um, I always think of myself as an opportunistic experiencer, you know, so if something comes my way, um, I try to say yes and to see if I can jump in. So being an opportuni opportunistic experiencer has led me to places like working with DEN and um, smart exemplary educators and all of that as an adjunct and now working with um, you all in Meta on Nourish Teachers, which I'm really enjoying. I'm, I'm finding um, a new passion that has always is, is, has always existed. Does that make sense? A new passion that's always existed that I just didn't know it was a passion. Um, but I'm really enjoying that aspect of nourishing other teachers and helping to, them to be their best selves. Yeah. And I do know what you mean. It's something that's like innately in you, but you need a catalyst sometimes to go, oh yeah, I am really passionate about that. And, oh yeah, I'm really good at that. You just need that opportunity, but also that catalyst to say yes. Um, Tracy, I know that you have such a powerful story in education, personally, professionally. Um, I was just saying to our producer behind the scenes that you have a somewhat of a parallel path to my story, but yours involves more education. But can you just walk us through maybe like, how did you wind up in education and how did you find this passion? I think sure. so much of what we do with ed tech brands and educators sometimes is we bring them back to that why. Mm -hmm. So maybe let's start with that why. Well, I think I, I think I was always an, like a natural born teacher. I think I was. And for a while there, I had convinced myself that I wasn't. And, you know, I had tried in, in the 80s, 90, early 90s to convince myself that I wasn't. Um, because that's not where the money was, right? Isn't that what we were supposed to do in the late 80s, early 90s, make the money? Um, but I grew up um, in a really rural community where college really wasn't a thing. And, and my mom and my dad were sort of limited in their abilities um, with education. And so probably around fifth or sixth grade, I really didn't have anybody anymore to support me in my schoolwork. And I didn't, I didn't know that I was smart. I, I, I had no idea. Um, but I had a teacher who believed in me. And um, a teacher who taught me about books and how my voice could be heard and writing. And um, she showed me that things were possible and that she never questioned whether or not I would go to college. It, that's not what it was for her. It was, which college would you want to go to? And so when, I, when it came time, I tried to resist teaching, but it was in, it was in my blood and um, kind of fell in love right away. With, with education and um, got through college in four years, you know, working 40 hours a week to, to pay my way to school because my parents couldn't afford to send me. And to be honest with you, um, my parents didn't know how to do college, you know, they just didn't know. So I ended up um, figuring out myself. I, I think I told you when we were talking um, one time personally that there were more people in my college dorm than in my entire town. So just, just navigating that. So went to undergrad, went to Illinois state, um, you know, and which is a very powerful, um, education school. Lots of teachers come out of Illinois state university with a really good, um, solid foundation in elementary education. And I took a job. Oh, I didn't get a job first year out because that was when there was like a huge surplus of teachers. And so I worked in daycare for a year. Um, God bless all of our little biddies, like on all their teachers. I'm not designed to teach little biddies. 
I'm far too sarcastic. That's why I'm with middle schoolers. Um, and then I took a job on a maternity leave and I worked like in a pretty predominantly white uh, middle income farm school for about six years. But the problem was um, I couldn't afford to feed my family and I had no medical insurance um, working in that school. So I had to leave a job that I loved to work in a more urban school district. And I was very arrogant and thought my talents and skills at my old school would follow me into my new new school. And I found out very quickly about different types of learners and different types of teaching. And so um, luckily they took a chance on me and hired me back for the second year in my new district. And uh, I pivoted and um, 21 years later, here I am still in that same school district. And I've taught uh, mostly fifth and sixth grade for the last 21 years. Um, there, that's, that's my tribe right there. Those, that's my sweet spot. And I think every, I think every teacher has a sweet spot. Like, you know, we're, we are um, certified in Illinois to teach um, K-8 or K-9. But uh, I taught kindergarten for one year, one time and realized that was a very bad idea. Like, I'm not good at it. I'm just not. Kindergarten teachers, God bless you out there. They're wonderful human beings. Yeah. And so that's my path. And that's where I'm at. And a few years ago, I shifted. I was teaching a math magnet class. And a few years ago, the opportunity to train and get certified to teach gifted and talented learners came up. And here I am five years later. And I, I love it so much. I love my children. I love my, my gig. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. And it, it comes across in everything you do, like oh, when you're supporting you. educators, when you're talking about it, that passion. And I know we're going to get into it and talk about like what keeps you going and how to support educators. But before we do, I want to pause and just like recognize that that's a, an amazing story. Like the, in, in most worlds, like you, you have everything stacked against you a lot, you know, and it's, you know, you go to a dorm and it's the bigger, bigger than your population of where you came from. Like people don't realize that how hard it is to truly navigate school, to have some positive reinforcement and to understand what are the options in education. Like I, I know I shared with you previously, we, I have a parallel path where I didn't, I don't, I don't know. I never thought I was smart. I liked school because it was an escape from life. Um, but no one ever told me I was smart. Um, and it wasn't until I had a teacher that really changed the trajectory of my life. And that's where I dive in for my passion. And I know that's where you dive in too, as you think about, gosh, I'm changing lives. I'm changing. At sometimes you're that, you're that pivotal moment in a child's life where they can go one way or another. And I, I attribute that to that one educator. It was fourth grade for me. And for me, first generation student, also scholarships worked my way in loans in school. Mm -hmm. The drill. It's just, you know, you get so many people like what I got is you can't do that. You know, I got a lot of the naysayers. They didn't because, you oh, you can't do that. You can't go to college. It, it's too much money. And I'm like, well, maybe I'll just check out, you know, that one teacher believed in me. So maybe there's something there. Maybe. Yeah. And, you know, I think that it, it gets overlooked a little bit. I know this sounds crazy, but I grew up in a really rural community and girls were only nurses and teachers. And nobody was really encouraging me, even when, I mean, I entered high school in 1986. So even in 1986, there was nobody really 
not at not from school um, staff or home. There was nobody really telling me that girls could be anything they wanted to be. So th- you've got that. I don't want to say 1950s mindset, but I mean, when you're in small town America there, you know, you kind of have that. And so I can identify with what you're saying, that mindset of, oh, you're just going to, you'll get married and find somebody nice and settle down and have kids. And that's cool. And there's nothing wrong with that. Hats off to stay at home moms and dads. Like I, I, I tried that too. That was, I was not good at that. I love my children. I love my husband, but man, I was just not good as a stay at home person. I, I needed something more than that for myself. Yeah. I think the one thing reflecting on what drove me as a child after I felt like I had a little confidence because someone said, you know, you can do this. And, and when you have that confidence of someone believing in you, you can excel more than you've ever thought possible. Like I, was able to take on more, do more, learn more. But the only reason why I went to business school and you probably went to teaching is I just like had this responsibility that I felt like I needed to pay for my entire family. And I I looked at like my Mm. second grade homework and my second grade homework said I wanted to be a lawyer because, or any other profession that makes lots of money to take care Mm. of my family. Like that's literally what I wrote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I, I don't know, whatever it may be, I think we're all kind of on these, it's so hard to navigate past, but you and I were both completely altered in a positive way by a teacher. And yeah. You know, to, today, today we, you know, we know that there are these aces, right? These, these things that exist in your life as a young person that are indicators of whether or not you'll be successful or not. And the aces are like all these negative things that have happened against you. And I think you and I've had a discussion about all of these things that have impacted our personal lives that we should not have been successful. We shouldn't have ever, there's no reason that we should have come out into the place that we are. And um, I credit, you know, my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Engelbreck, if you're out there and you're listening, you're the reason, one of the reasons why I, I hung in there and figured out I was smart. So so I think that's funny that your fourth grade teacher and my fifth grade, I wonder if it's sort of that formative part of your life where you identify with someone who thinks you're pretty great, you know? Yeah, I that is really like, what are the odds of that? Right. Um, all right. Well, I know we can reminisce on our similarities of our lives. Right. We can do that at ISTE or something, but... Um, <laughs> I want to get into, tell me really what, what is it like being an educator right now amidst a pandemic? And this year, like you were just saying before the show, is that some people are like, oh, it's just back to normal. Like, let's pretend it's back to normal. It's not back to normal. And in fact, I would think it's worse. I've never heard educators cry out for help so much as I had this year. And so you, I don't know where to start or where you'd like to start. Sure. <laughs> Maybe just tell me what your experience is like right now. I mean, I think I'd like to, you know, I'd like to start w- with the children, of course, and then, and then kind of we could ripple out. Um, you know, for the kids, you have to remember that a lot of them are socially, emotionally delayed almost two years because depending on their home life and their, their situation and what was going on for them, some of them let's just say, for example, a fifth grader right now, you know, has really not had appropriate and consistent social emotional interaction with peers 
since they were in third grade. And there's a huge difference developmentally in a third grader and a fifth grader. I mean, even if you go lower between kindergarten and second, there's a huge difference. And so what we're facing in the classroom is a lot of social emotional need right now, a lot. And it doesn't just go from not having that social interaction. It also goes to the fact that some kids who, by no fault of anybody other than, you know, like families had to work, or whatever the case may be, they also kind of just did whatever they wanted for the last almost two years. You know, they um, they didn't have rules and procedures and boundaries with time. So time has been a real big thing in the classroom because children are used to doing their work when they want in, in the way that they want to. Because in the pandemic, the phrase that got tossed around a lot, at least in my end of the world, was, you know, make sure that you're providing children and families with grace and flexibility as we navigate these uncharted waters. And so the problem, not that you shouldn't have grace and flexibility in a difficult situation, but the problem with it, extending grace and flexibility is that when it's time for that grace and flexibility to be reined in, there's a lot of pushback. So we're facing a lot of behaviors. We're facing a lot of exhaustion. Um, we also, like most of the planet right now, we're facing employee shortages. So not enough teachers, not enough paraprofessionals or custodians or lunch ladies, bus drivers, is, it's huge. The bus driver situation is just enormous. So we're facing a lot of problems and then we also have this issue of, you know, people think we should have just rolled back in and now we're back in school and everything's okay. Kids aren't there. Kids aren't coming to school. Attendance is awful right now. And so during the pandemic, there was a lot, depending on where you worked and what you did, there was a lot of push on teachers to just make sure you're making connections. Like in my district, we did we did great things. If we hadn't heard from a student in two days, um, our first thing was that we teachers were required to make a contact to make sure just that the children were okay. And then if we couldn't, if we couldn't make contact within two days, then we were to turn it over to a home team, and the home teams did phone calling from the school phone numbers home visits, you know, they made sure they were delivering food and supplies to children who, who couldn't get out during the pandemic. So the hard part about that was we developed this sort of expectation that teachers would continue to find children who weren't in school. And so that some of that is still kind of happening, that kids aren't coming to school. Well, the first response is, well, did you make a home contact? Okay, I, I have 28 other kids in front of me. I, I can't really make that home contact right now. So there's just, there's just a big push from the powers that be that this is a normal year and, and, it, and it isn't. So you have struggling absences with students um, on a recurring basis, and you now have the responsibility of checking in with them um, routinely. You don't have the support for just basic taking time off to professionally develop, to collaborate, um, bus drivers, uh, custodians, all of these things I'm, I'm seeing and hearing what you were saying. Um, how do you as an educator like navigate this? Like, and, and, and maybe just talk a little bit more about 
before we get into like how you cope and do this, but what's it like for you? You know, what, what have you gone through this year or maybe even a little bit of last year? Well, last year, last year was devastating for me. Um, I, I have very close relationships with my students and my families, and um, I keep my students for two years. So I have 14 fifth graders and 14 sixth graders, and then every year I get half of a new class. So it was devastating because that personal connection is real hard to have over Zoom. It's really, really hard. Um, I can't even tell you. I spent so much money on sending students presents through Amazon last year. It wasn't even funny. Like we'd be just talking on Zoom and one of the kids would mention something and I would send them, you know, whatever it is they needed through through Amazon because, or I would put it in my car and drop it off on their porch last year. Um, so not being able to connect with my kiddos and um, it, it sounds wrong, so but don't take it that way. Like put my hands on them. I couldn't, I couldn't hug them and love them and, and, and be the teacher that I, that I love to be. So it was really, really hard. Now this year, I'm very blessed and lucky because half of my class who went through the pandemic with me last year is back with me this year. And they were so excited to be in school with me and not on a screen. They were so excited. So that has been a huge blessing to have half of my class come with me then we've been on this crazy ride together. But the hard part is I, I can see needs and I can't fill them. So I know we need more social workers. We don't have them. I know we need more interventions to help cover the learning loss. We just don't, we don't have them. And the resources that were there during the pandemic, you know, with um, companies just shoving out free Wi-Fi and free access to educators and like everybody, the, the best parts of what came out of the pandemic in supporting education, they're not there now. But the, a lot of the problems that we had during the pandemic still exist. Families still don't have Wi-Fi. Families, you know, teachers don't have the money in their budgets to get the products that we grew to love during the pandemic. So a lot of that is really hard. Yeah. Just, just not being able to support kiddos the way we want to. Yeah. Jeez. I, I think you bring a lot of good points. And I think in, in during the pandemic, I was talking to tons of ed tech companies and they're like, how do we do this? How do we help with educators? And a lot of them were trying to, like you said, give free trials, give an extended free trial for, for what they thought the pandemic would be. No one expected sure. the pandemic to be this long, but on the ed tech side, they're like, what you may not know is they're running out of money and they oh, might sure. And they have a lot of like guests, you know, they have a lot of expenses, but at the same time, there's never been a more pivotal time to support educators. And I don't think they know that to this level. And well, I think I'm excited for you to talk about that. Well, I think what, what people who don't teach don't realize is that um, although the global pandemic, right, of last year is, is over, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what word you want to use there. Um, I've, my class itself has already been out three times. We have been out of school and back on remote learning three times this year. So it's not normal. It's not we're back in school and everybody's sitting up straight with their hands folded, 
you know, turning in worksheets. That's not, we don't, that's not what we do. And if anything, what the, the, the bonus, the plus of the pandemic, it propelled so many educators forward in their use of technology. Just overnight, you had no choice but to figure it out. And so none of that PD, of course, was paid and none of that PD um, counts towards like in Illinois, we've got continuing professional development units we have to have these or professional development hours. We have 120 we have to get um, to keep our certification. So a lot of what we learned during that time isn't necessarily credited to us, but it has improved our teaching. And even though some classrooms are back in person more than they were last year, a lot of the pieces of technology that we learned during the pandemic, we, we continue to use because we learned that they're best practices for our learners. Yeah. And for our listeners, Tracy's talking about her experience, but she also has a national perspective of working with educators across the country with all of the ambassador programs you're in, but also nurse teachers. But I can tell you from what I hear as well on the ground, and all I do is think about national trends and think about ed tech and education, what you're reporting is consistent. A lot of schools have been out, a lot of like in and out. And what do we do? I mean, now they're more agile so they can say, okay, we've at least got the tech in place to support us. But there's this level of burnout that I think you're insinuating on is like, we just need a break. We need some support. This is two plus years in it. And and then people are telling us everything's okay. (laughs) Right. No, you're fine. Continue to fill out your forms and your surveys and make sure that you've done this program and that program. And how, why are only 50% of your kids finished with this? Well, I've only seen 50% of my kids. So, you know, it's, it's different when you have your whole class in front of you and, you know, five of you haven't completed a task and I can say you, 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 and you come back here to the table with me and let's get that done. Let's figure out why you can't, why you're not good. That. But when you're on zoom and you refer, you refuse to turn on your camera, a, I don't know if you're there. <laughs> B, I can't, I can't make you click anything. So it, I think that ex- holding educators to the same standard of completion for, I, I don't want to call them erroneous tasks, but tasks that somebody somewhere thinks are important to make happen is part of that, you know, we're still, it's normal. We're back in school. Everything's normal. No, we're not. And no, it isn't. And I don't, and for some, in some ways, I, I hope some of the options we have continue to be options like that. Some parts of that new normal for us, I hope they, I hope they remain. And you and I were talking briefly before about, for example, my school district in very forward thinking decided that even last year when we thought the pandemic was over, that we would um, continue to offer remote and hybrid options to students all the way from kindergarten through high school. Because some students, especially kiddos who have, you know, sensory problems or severe behavior issues or massive anxiety problems, they just did better remotely, which is where I kind of feel like we're behind the eight ball when it comes to the corporate world, because the corporate world figured out a long time ago that people could work remotely. You know, we're kind of behind in, in education and that. So I was I was glad to see that my district was forward thinking and offering family options for remote and hybrid and in-person learning still. And not in response to COVID, but in response to what was best for kids. Mm-hmm. 
when you think about everything you've gone through and like bring yourself back to those really challenging days, Mm -hmm. like how do you navigate this all? How do you keep going? What do you tell yourself? And I also know that you have a supportive role in that community, Nourish Teachers, where you have to, you know, part of what you do is you don't give advice, but you you support them wholeheartedly. So how, how do you help others and help yourself navigate through this tumultuous time. It's, it's truly insurmountable. And sometimes all you can do is say, I see you. Right. Well, I think it's changed, you know, in the very, very beginning back in 2019, when we went out and we thought, Oh, well, we'll be out for a couple of weeks and then we'll be in, you know? Um, I think in 2019, it was just one foot in front of the other. Like, how do we just, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Right. And then in 2020, when we came back and we weren't really back and we taught from home for almost the whole year, um, I think it, how we survived was just doing the bare necessities. Like, what do I have to do to make sure everyone is safe and fed and loved? And there's a, there's a basic level of teaching that is happening, right? All the extra stuff went away and it was just, can I get to the roots of maybe reading math and science and history? What can, what can I get to? But then as we came back this year, how did, how are teachers surviving more and more myself included? And this, this goes against every fiber of every being every teacher has ever been taught. We are always taught that our job is more than a job and we do what we do for the children And conversely, then, if you don't do what needs to be done, you must not care about the children. Right. I mean, if you think if you're thinking about it in the other way. So that guilt of not doing extra comes, in my opinion, from that belief that if you're not doing the extra, you're not giving up your hours, you're not giving up your money, you're not sacrificing, then it must be because you don't care. Well, I'm here to tell you that because I care about the children I had to prioritize my own wellness. I ran myself into the ground in 2020, like to the point where I, I, and I developed not being able to stand up properly because of the way I was sitting for hours and hours and hours on a screen day after day because school happened sometimes last year, anywhere from eight o'clock in the morning till eight o'clock at night, whenever my children needed me. That's when I was there last year. And sometimes they couldn't get on because they were at a babysitter's who didn't have internet or grandma's or somebody was sick or whatever the case may be. We did school on Saturdays and Sundays. And so when school started this year, um, I knew that in order to be the best teacher and to be a nourished human being, to, to be a to be a fully functioning adult, I had to sometimes leave school at school. I had to not, you know, take my papers to be graded on a field trip home (laughs) every night, you know? So I felt, I felt like prioritizing my wellness is, is how I was going to make it through this school year. Now that doesn't mean I still don't have the guilt of, you know, why, you know, I have a student who's emailing me right now, actually. And it's, you know, at my time it's, it's six 30 in the evening. So I do have some guilt about that, but I have to set boundaries for myself that didn't exist previously, because if I don't, I will burn out and I, and I, and I don't want to do that. I, 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 my students deserve better than a burned out teacher. 
Yeah. And especially in K-12 education, like I think some of you that might be listening in the corporate workplace say, yeah, you know, I get that too. I'm on online, online all the time. I need boundaries. But educators, it's in, it's not only ingrained in you like personally when you go through it, but there's like all these colloquialisms like I'm in it for the outcome and not the income. And like, all you know, all of those things that have been surfaced up. And it's almost like just the same thing over and over again to tell you that, you know, all your heart and soul should be about the, the kids and do whatever it takes and you know, all these things. But th that is not a recipe for success for longevity. Like you were talking about, like how do how, we're really just talking about how do we get through this entirety, not just one year or a half a year and do it. Like, I think we all, especially in education, when I see a lot of our nurse teachers talk about things, it's, it's that inner perfectionism critic too. And just like, I wish I could do it way more better. I wish I could do more. And, you know, educators have the biggest hearts in the world. That's why I love you all so dearly. But Aww. that guilt cons, that guilt is real. <laughs> and so every time I hear that, that teacher guilt, I'm like, no. <laughs> and really, without getting too political and going too deep, but there's some really fascinating reading out there about how um, that's been ingrained into the profession because it's a predominantly female profession. That, you know, it's really interesting reading if you ever get a chance to read that, that, you know, that do more with less and you don't need to be paid for that and sacrifice yourself for the good of the children. It's historically because it's a historically female profession, which I think is it's pretty fascinating if you read it. Yeah, that makes sense <laughs> um, in a sad way. Um, you know, I wanted to just connect back with something you said really quickly about the corporate world. Um, and I don't want to downplay what anybody does. But one thing that I think if you're not in teaching, what you don't realize is that I don't walk out the door and stop thinking about my kids. And teaching, although it's not always, and sometimes I guess when you have littles, it's physically draining, right? We, it's so emotionally draining to teach children because I, I'm, I'm blessed and lucky with the children that I have and I have a, I love them so much. But I have 28 humans right now that I know all of their backstories. I know all of their worries. I know all of their needs. I know who, who has food and who doesn't have food and who has uniforms for school and who doesn't. I know who's scared that their mom's not going to come home. I know all of those things. And when I can't see them and they're not in front of me, that I don't turn, I, there's no button that I push to stop worrying about my people, you know? I love those children with my whole heart and I worry about them when they're not with me. And so teaching is emotionally draining, not just for the hours that I'm at school, but mm -hmm. for the hours that I'm at home as well. I worry about them. Yeah, I would too. It would literally break my heart because you're in a position where you just, you, you cannot do enough and you never will be, you know, and that's the hardest I mean, it is one of the hardest yeah. parts that it just, it, it, it stays with you. Um, I think I'd like to loop back to, you said you finally prioritize your, your own well being. You, you did things like tried to shut off, um, put boundaries around communication with students, or are there any other tactical things that you did or you saw other colleagues that, you know, if an educator is listening, they're really just struggling. They're trying to maybe create these boundaries, but they don't know what that mm -hmm. looks like. Like, can you give a little more yeah. color to some tactics? 
Um, one big thing that I had to learn because uh, as a people pleaser, um, I am, I'm the person who's on all the committees and in all the meetings and doing everything I can say, no, it's okay to say no. And you don't have to give a reason. You don't have to explain away your no. No is no. I I don't want to be on that committee. I don't want to be in that meeting. The answer is no. So obviously I'm not telling you to shirk your contractual obligations. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, you know, we need a volunteer to be on. No, the answer is no. Because my time is my time and I have done my job. I've done more than my job. And right now I'm prioritizing my, my health and my wellness. So saying no. And then one thing that I've come across for our teachers that it's, it's kind of a strange thing. And it goes back to that reading. I was telling you about the difference between male and female teachers. A lot of times when female teachers need something, they don't ask for it. They just assume it's not going to be given to them. So they just don't even ask. So, if the answer is no, then it's no. And then I have to figure out another way to obtain what it is that I need. But I've also learned to ask for the things that I need. And if I don't get it, I don't get it. I'm not out anything if I asked and I don't, I didn't get it, but I ask. So I say no. I also ask. And I've learned that if I don't get that set of papers graded, it, it's okay. It'll be all right. <laughs> You know, we get so anxious about meeting, you know, like, oh, I have to have the turnaround of within so many days from my students' papers. It's it's okay if they have to wait a minute. It's really okay. So yeah. all of those things are wait. And then also find time to do the things that you love to do. It's okay to take care of yourself. Yeah. And one of the things I, I just got done with another podcast and my friend Todd talked about gamification, but his point was more about when you're teaching, find something that gives you joy inside the teaching, that gives you pleasure. And maybe it doesn't even actually give the students pleasure. You're not torturing the students, of course, but you know what I mean? You're, you're having fun with them. Mm -hmm. And so if learning can't be fun, I understand we've got lots of, lots of obligations, lots of things you have to do, no time, no support, all these things. Find a little moment, just one little moment. So sometimes he was talking about just like do a quick brain break or energizer where you can just mm -hmm. like do something silly together and have fun because that translates into the learning and that yeah. was an interesting take of like nourishing yourself during class period which just have a little sure. fun with your students you know I again I teach middle school so all the snarkiness right all the because <laughs> I teach middle school but um I think you can't teach that grade level and not have a sense of humor you've got you've got to have so I I play with my kids and we laugh and we joke and we tease each other and we have a really, really good time. Like every once in a while I do something stupid with them and give them, I don't know, like I give them primary elementary writing paper and say, you have to write your answers on elementary paper with big fat letter, you know, just stupid things to make them laugh and, and have a really good time with what we do. Cause then it makes the things that are not fun. You're like, okay guys, I don't really want to do this either, but we have to, you know, so, and I, I know that's an advantage to being with the age level that I have, but, um, yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Try to find some joy. And, you know, my classroom doesn't look like a classroom. My, my classroom looks like an apartment because I also don't 
find joy in working in a sterile environment that doesn't bring me relaxation and joy. So I invested in my space, in my classroom. And it's not just good for my kids to work in, in, a, in, a, in an apartment type atmosphere. Um, it's good for me too, that I enjoy my space in my classroom. Now that took years of shopping at garage sales and flea markets and um, auctions to be able to, to fund that, but it's a pretty good space. That sounds amazing. Maybe you can take a picture and we can include it sure. in the show notes or something. Sure. Um, let's switch gears slightly. We talked a lot to the educators, but for the ed tech folk listening, What's some advice you'd give to them right now? You already talked a little bit about the lack of support because, you know, during the peak of the pandemic, there was all sorts of free stuff and now it's kind of mm -hmm. dwindling away. But if you were had the ability to talk to a bunch of ed tech, imagine a room of a bunch of ed tech people, oh, gosh. they, they want to hear from you, an educator, like what would you say that how they can be the most supportive um, or how, what are they getting wrong right now? Help them along here. Because I think sometimes if you are in education technology, you may or may not be an educator. There's a varying degree of background in education. They all come with a passion, but, but help them along. What, what would you give them advice around? You know, I feel like, um, of course, when you're in, you're in the private sector, you're, you eventually you have to make money, right? I understand, I understand that. And all of the things that were free during the pandemic, like you said, um, can't always continue to be free. But some of the things that um, I have found is that there's a little bit of pressure sometimes from companies to, hey, ask your administrator to purchase this. Ask, you know, there's a little bit of push. And um, that's stressful because of course I want the resource, but I don't have any sway as far as that stuff goes. So, you know, like the, the bombardment with the emails about, Hey, did you forget to purchase? That is stressful. <laughs> that, that is stressful for teachers. Cause trust me, if we've used it and we love it, we will tell somebody and we, if we can make it happen, we will. Is there a sense of like guilt? Like it, when you say it's stressful, I just want to dig into that a little bit. But like if, if you like a product and maybe you're getting it free, so you feel like you might owe them something. I don't know. Like t walk me through that, that yeah. generation. Especially because they gave it to us for free during the pandemic. And now they're like, oh, if you want to continue to use this, you know, make sure your administrator or your person who bought, you know, does the purchasing, make sure they call us and, 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 Trust me, like I said to you before, if I'm using a product or used the product and I loved it, I've already told the person who's in charge of purchasing. And teachers, I mean, other than maybe committees, we don't have a lot of sway on what technology gets purchased. I mean, I have a $100 per year budget for 28 children. I get $100. <laughs> to spend. That's it for the entire year. So can you imagine having 28 employees and your budget is $100 for the year, not per person. <laughs> so you're spending less than $4 per person on your supplies for an entire year. Yeah. And we don't, you know, and I think what you said, even just prior to that is like, 
trust me, if your product is good, I've already told people. Um, You telling me to tell people kind of reminds me potentially that I don't have the power to even do anything, right? And maybe, maybe it reminds me of that. But I think for the ed tech people listening is that focus on making your product as useful as possible. Well, the easiest as possible, as easy mm-hmm. as possible. And you go ahead. You mentioned that stress. The stress comes from, oh, I really loved that. And I created these really cool things. And now I can't. Yeah. Because I can't afford it. You know, and it goes I've, away. And that's yeah, a big thing yeah. in ed tech is teachers like getting excited about a product and they do all this stuff and they put all the invest all this time and energy into it. And then inevitably, sometimes it goes away. Um, you might get yeah. bought by a competitor. They might raise their prices and your district no longer supports it. Your district might tighten up on tech policies and not allow you to use it. Like all these things. There's just I don't know. I, I talk to a lot of educators. and There's that fear of like, I don't want to switch because it'll it'll go away. Yeah. <laughs> well, we also we also have, you know, legislation in Illinois that now if um if companies are gathering any student data at all, mm. that if they won't sign that agreement that says they will not distribute, sell, or use student data, we're not allowed to use the product at all. So we can't even like pilot or or beta or test anything for an ed tech company without having it run through our tech department first and having those, those agreements signed. Because like, for example, if you're using a Google login, we're not allowed to use any product that has a Google login if they haven't signed the agreement that they won't share or distribute our student information. So that sort of um, also creates a situation of like, oh, I really love your product, but now the legislation has cho- you know changed and I can't even use you until it runs through my approval committee and they have the forms that they need. Yeah. And it's not that 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 is actually very important. I know you're not saying that it's just it's there's so many nuances within all of this. So, so I think sometimes it's kind of insinuated in some what you're saying, but there's no one size fits all. And there's not this like email sequence of, hey, did you forget? Hey, just me again. You know, like that's annoying. It's a little bit like, can I talk to you about your car's extended warranty? Can I talk to you about your car's? No. No, you cannot. <laughs> Those are the worst, by the way. I get the, the number one people that call me. Stop. Um, Tracy, as we wrap up, is there anything like parting thoughts or you know things that you thought you want to really make sure that the educators listening know of? I mean, I loved your points about really putting yourself first in that journey to get there is hard, but starting a, a step at a time. So you talked a little bit about that. You also talked to the ed tech folk about, you know, what they should really consider now and what it's like to be in school right now. Is there anything else that you'd want to add before we wrap up? I think for my teacher friends out there, um, you're not alone. We're all here, no matter what state, no matter what size district or school you're in, what grade level, you're not alone. We're here. Um, and lean on each other. You know, I, I read something once about not leaning on, but leaning in. And I guess that's better than, le- than leaning on, right? Lean, lean into one another because you are the best line of defense. Support one another. Have each other's back. Reach out. Be honest with yourself. Say no. It's okay to say no. And just, and just keep at it. You're doing a great job. 
no, no matter how you feel about the job you're doing right now, you're doing the best job you can. And that's okay. And that is okay. And that power and freedom that comes with saying no without that guilt will take time. But holy moly, it is like freeing. And I, I know in our community of nourish teachers, when people say no, they celebrate it. They're like, mm-hmm. I said no, it broke my heart a little, but I'm going to celebrate it here. And then mm-hmm. they get those words of encouragement and help other people get on that path too. Because mm-hmm. we're really in it for the longevity, right? If we're right. You know, that, that crap about we're in it for the outcome and not the income. No, we're, we're, if you are a professional, you want to stay an education professional. You want to stay your career. You don't want to just do you it for to a be couple able, of years and burn out. I have to be able to eat. <laughs> you know, so although I am in it for the outcome, I kind of need to be able to eat too. So yeah, there's like that. Basics. Jeez. Um, like uh, electricity. It's good. <laughs> um. So wrapping up here, Tracy, the last thing that we ask all of our guests is, is really fundamentally aligned with a lot of the nurse teachers work you do, but like, what keeps you inspired when you have those down days, what keeps you going, especially now? Like there's sometimes it's just hard to get up and get into school. For me, sometimes I have days where I just like, I love my work, but I need some inspiration to get me going at times is it something you're reading? Is it something, maybe an exercise routine, affirmations you do, watching? What gets you inspired lately? Um, well, a, a lot of things. Um, but number one, I know this sounds so hokey, but it's my kids. It's my, it's my kids. You know, on the days where I'm just like, oh, do I have to be the teacher today? <laughs> I think about what happens when I'm not the teacher, you know? Mm -hmm. And so my kids keep me going. And then personally, it's, it's the joy that I feel when kids have that moment of learning, you know, it's so cool. Um, And I, and I equate it to this for my friends out there that are parents, you know, as a parent, you don't know if you're doing it right. You have no idea. You don't, you don't know if you're doing it right until they're fully formed adults and they're away from you. You don't know. The same thing is true about teaching. You don't really know what you've done to, to help a child. You don't really know until years later and they come back and they tell you. Or you see it and they're like, they're, they're these amazing people. And you're like, oh, I had a little part of that. So, you know, just um, letting go of the things that didn't work and hanging on to the things that did. You know, which is, I I think, I think that's good life advice, right? Not just teaching advice. So um, I also find a lot of inspiration in uh, my colleagues. You know, they're, they're a great source of inspiration. And then just to add, because I know your story a little bit more is at times, if you don't have colleagues that inspire you, I know that, and it maybe it wasn't because of that, but I also know that you took the extra effort to reach out to people and join communities of educators mm-hmm. nationally that inspire you as well. Oh, absolutely. You know, um, I've often said that joining a professional organization and now what, what, which would be, you know, the communities that we're forming online, um, has probably one of been one of the biggest um, career changers for me and then life changer for me in the end because you end up connecting with this amazing group of human beings 
and you just, you want to be better because you're around so many amazing people. So, yeah. So seek out that group. And I, you know, I've tried on a bunch of different ones and um, it's kind of funny because as I've moved through time and joined different professional organizations that have kind of fit where my life is at that moment. um, It's funny because there's a common thread, like some of the same people keep resurfacing, which from across the United States, it's not just like people in my area. It's just the same people keep circling back around in my life, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. And I, I feel blessed to know you now, but I'm actually surprised you weren't in my circle prior to, because a a lot of people from the Denstar, so the Discovery Educator Network, Mm -hmm. a lot of those people overlapped with Edutopia. And I just, you were not in my radar. I think think we had, we had circles that just bumped each other and we're in a Venn diagram for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because (laughs) when my kids hit high school, um, my husband needed to travel for work. So I had to step away from den because Mm -hmm. I was so active and moving and busy. And so when I stepped away from the den, I stepped into teaching more at my local college and so like I just shifted what I was doing to serve other people um and and to grow myself so yeah that's funny that probably I'm trying to think of what year that would have been would have been like 2010 oh yeah yeah I started at Utopia around 2008 yeah so. so I went out of den about 2009 2010 interesting funny Isn't funny Well, Tracy, I could talk forever. I I really hope for those of you listening that you take what Tracy says to heart. I mean, she didn't just give you advice if you're an educator, but she gave you advice if you're a human being. (laughs) There's a lot to to distill there. And if you are an ed tech company, just, just think about it. Digest, you know, what did I learn that educators are going through that I didn't know? What am I assuming? Um, don't always go for that hard sell. You know, really think about the ramifications of what an educator is experiencing the way you approach them. I think sometimes as marketers, I'm always like, oh, I can automate this, I can do this, and I can get these click-through rates and all this stuff. But I I have to pause and say, okay, click, click it back to the human beings. Let's figure out that impact. And what you said about it being a stressful experience, I want people to pause around that too. So um, Tracy, how can people get in touch with you? Um, and are, if, if you think back on this conversation and you want to share some additional resources, send mm-hmm. them to us. We'll put them in the show notes. But if there's any resources that come to mind, um, you can talk about them now and we'll put them up on the show notes. But how do people get in touch with you? Well, definitely Nourish Teachers um, on Facebook. Please check us out there if you are an educator. Um, sorry, my ed tech friends. It's for educators. Um, but if you wanted to talk to me, um, my personal email, which I'm totally comfortable with, um, so because I'm from the Chicagoland area, you know, this Saturday Night Live skit, the bears, the bulls, right? <laughs> my email is teach the kids at Yahoo, because I'm from the Chicago area. You got to be teach the kids, you know? <laughs> That's kind of like Sarah Thomas's, uh, Sarah, the teacher. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Teach the kids oh. at Yahoo. You can send me an email. I'm happy to connect with you and we could set something up if you want to have a conversation. Yeah. And I will also add the link to the private Facebook group for educators. You just need to be a U.S. Yep. K through 12 educator and not in an admin role. 
Um, thank you again, Tracy. You. I was so excited. I said, I looked on my calendar today and said, yes, <laughs> we, I get Tracy time. So yeah. thank you for showing up, especially late your time and sharing really the real, real, what it's like, um, getting into the head of, gosh, I, I didn't think that this was going to be this way, but it is, and we need help. So I appreciate your candor. Um, for to all of our listeners, I thank you for joining us. You can access this episode's show notes at leoneconsultinggroup.com. So it's Leone Consulting Group with two G's backslash the number 13. So backslash 13, and that'll give you detailed show notes. We do a great job of summarizing some points so you can do some quick reading. We give you some shareable images and you can listen to the podcast embedded along with some resources. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us. We will see you next time on all things marketing and education. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. If you liked what you heard and want to dive deeper, you can visit Leone Consulting Group dot com backslash podcasts for all show notes, links, and freebies mentioned in each episode. And we always love friends. So please connect with us on Twitter at Leone Group. If you enjoyed today's show, go ahead and click the subscribe button to be the first one notified when our next episode is released. We'll see you next week on all things marketing and education.